This is Nemesis Satanosa for NEJM Catalyst. I'm speaking today with Sandra Andrews. Sandra is the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Clinical Care at Providence. Providence is one of the largest nonprofit health systems in the country, providing clinical care across the West Coast. They operate 51 hospitals and more than 1,000 clinics extending from Alaska down to Orange County across to Texas. In her COO role, Sandy currently leads the Providence System-Wide COVID-19 Emergency Response Operations Center. Providence cared for the first U.S. patient starting in January, and the Emergency Operations Command has been running since then. And while acknowledging that we are still very much in the midst of a surge, the focus of our conversation today is the preparations and the early experience of procuring, distributing, and administering the COVID vaccine to this first wave of healthcare workers. It is a milestone moment for sure, and we thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Namada. I am happy to be here. It has been a whirlwind of a year, and even just this past week has us going in so many different directions, but very excited to be here where we have the vaccine in the arms of our caregivers. Let's start with laying the groundwork that led up to these moments. When did your teens first start preparing for vaccination and, and what did those preparations entail? Well, all along our motto has been that planning is the antidote to panic. And so we have been very purposeful in anticipating what's around the corner and strategizing that next move. We have had a COVID next team that's literally always that 90 days ahead going, what do we need to be thinking about? I remember early in the summer, we were planning flu and COVID intermixed. What does that look like? The COVID next team started planning in September for the vaccine with that expectation that, that this week would be here. And then, yes, we, re we, we received on Monday that first that first dose. And so we understand that we've all seen the the videos of the first FedEx trucks leaving the Pfizer plants to distribute the vaccines to the state distribution centers. And the, the scale of supply chain logistics and coordination here is is remarkable. Walk us a little bit through the vaccine getting there on Monday and where there and then what happens what happened from there on? Right. Um, well, let me see. We can go in a lot of directions here, but let's start with, you know, Pfizer is delivering doses in what they call these pizza boxes, and it, they literally call it a pizza box. It's 975 doses, and those vials, there's actually 195 vials, even just in the last 24 hours, new information has come in that has made this such a different experience. We're learning, and our 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 sites have actually had this happen. We're getting not five doses, we're getting six and sometimes seven doses. So it's really changing things. So I start with that to say that, wow, the information changes in every, you know, every single day, new information's coming out. But how did we get here? So first of all, amazing teams. It's teams of teams. We have a pharmacy and logistics team. They're already capable of receiving materials and, and doing things in this way, working with freezers, understanding timing, moving things around, but it's been putting those teams together and understanding the scale at which we're doing it. So 
each site is getting uh, tracking information, so that's become really important that we all have visibility into that. Back in September, we actually procured those freezers, and we shuffled inventory around, and we made sure that we knew where our freezer uh, capacity was and, and able to work then with the state to understand that. And so we have the planning for distribution started. The other part is we've also had our researchers literally tracking the trial data, understanding what's happening with the vaccines, because we needed to prepare our caregivers to have the information they needed to make decisions. And really, that has been a positive path that that team's been working on. It was so important to build trust in the science and research along with the plan. So, and, and even today, our, our morning calls, we run these huddles, and we're, we're tracking needles. This is the first time we're, we're needing the mass needles and our PPE. So at least we've had this year of understanding how to locate and move um, very quickly and when, when we have uh, not enough of something. But I will say that it is um, impressive how many pieces are in this puzzle and how they come together at a local level and all the information coming from different places. I, I didn't even mention the security team. I mean, just the security needed at our delivery sites, understanding that we had extra people like roaming around. Um, it's really, really interesting to manage all these deliveries and the distribution. And I would I'd go back and say it's the team of teams. If, if there's one thing that we were able to do is you identify who has ownership in those teams are working together and creating transparency across the process. Recognizing that Providence historically has uh, done amazing things because of this team of teams concept, what were some early challenges or unanticipated barriers that, that arose? Despite the, the best of intentions, the best of planning, what was something that through you? Well, I think I'll answer this a couple ways. So first of all, across 2020, the biggest challenge we've had has been misinformation and conflicting information at the variety of levels. You know, my heart goes out to some of our local leaders trying to manage the different messages from the state and the Department of Health and the changing requirements and for testing or whatever it might be. So we're spending a lot of time just trying to understand the information and and what is truly accurate and what's changing so we have to have a process to sort of uh, get that that communicated and the facts understood so we had to create these two-way communications really good listening systems and be able to have that ability to understand and communicate across the system and that's the power of, of really being this system to learn so much um, I have a great anecdote. Just yesterday, our, the head of Alaska was able to tell us about the first uh, vaccine where there was a allergic reaction of sorts. And so that information, we, we were instantaneously able to spread and make sure all of our sites have that information. So those two-way communication tools have been so important through the entire 2020. And I think that the barrier that you asked, like what, what was the barrier? It's like how do you prevent misinformation and get the, the right information out? Um, I'd also say that across our population, the other unanticipated barrier 
is that we have 230,000 caregivers working for Providence or our family of organizations and doctors, nurses, volunteers, understanding who they are, where they are, and being able to communicate with them is a, is a pretty large task. And so that challenge was um, figuring out the right ways to, to learn and pull that together because that's what's been so important in this last week to identify our high-risk caregivers and get them uh, in for the vaccine. Uh, Sandy, speaking of high risk, can you tell us a little bit about how you define risk in this healthcare worker population? Oh, absolutely. So when we think of work locations, we're talking about areas in which COVID-19 patients and patients under investigation are routinely receiving care or areas where materials, equipment, linen are routinely handled. And so that's for work location, that's what high risk. Medium risk in work locations would be where, they, where there may be patients um, qualifying for that. And then low risk is where it would be unlikely. And then I'd also tell you when we look at role, we did the same thing, high risk, medium risk, and low risk. And for role, we were able to say if your role has extensive direct COVID-19 patient contact or you're in an environment or cleaning equipment that has uh, COVID-19 materials routinely handled, that puts you in high risk. And so what we've done is really taken the high risks of the work location, the high risks of your role, and that's essentially become our highest risk group of caregivers. Incredibly uh intentional and, and thoughtful. Um, thank you for, for that explanation. No problem. What were some of the ways that you did identify and then ultimately effectively communicate with them? Well, this has been my life, I think, for the past couple weeks here, and I'll tell you that we have put a lot of thought into it. So um, really taking great minds at a local level all the way up through the system level and really have the right discernment to make sure we had a process, an algorithm, to understand who our highest risk individuals are. And those individuals are essentially first in line while also balancing that they, we have a surge going on and they've got to actually keep our patients um, safe and we need coverage over that. So how do you manage all that? It was a designated process of really evaluating and prioritizing based on work, location, and role. So we took those 226,000 and we identified their work location and their role, and that was rated in a, a risk factor. So if you're in a COVID unit, that was high risk. If you're a respiratory therapist, that was high risk. And, and put those together and created that ability to look at our population and be able to then sort. We did an interesting model to do that at a at what we call this um, vaccine geo level. So we were able to say, we know we're going to have vaccines at this location. So instead of just doing one hospital, we'll take all five hospitals in that area and we'll uh, merge them as a vaccine geo and, and uh, be able to prioritize in groups for that area. So that's been a really positive model to get us um, through that. And we did something super unique that I'm, I'm proud of, but it was also lots of heavy lifting. We built a validate and verify tool. 
So while we have this system that says your work location is X and says that your role is Y and that those had a risk score to them, we knew that um, in this year of 2020, people have moved, people have gone into a different, uh, uh, literally, I'm, I'm no longer in this city, I'm in this city helping or doing things. So how do we make sure we have the right information? And we went to the caregivers and allowed them to update, validate, and verify, as well as give us the primary communication mechanism, which is that cell phone to be able to text them. And that's allowed us uh, through this process to really capture who they are and get uh, communication. Sandy, now that you've had some early experiences, what advice do you have for your health system colleagues as organizations roll out their own vaccination plans in the coming weeks and months? I would definitely say my advice or what I've experienced is you have to learn your way forward by doing and that we have been able to take on these uh, ways in which information is coming in and help create that transparency, give folks the understanding of, of what's ahead, and most definitely listening and responding. I mean, there's a few things that Providence has done that I really think make a difference. We have heard that we have caregivers that well, I've got to come in on my day off to get my vaccine. So we're able to compensate them for that time. We've uh, done a variety of different things to be able to really hear what the concerns are, address them, and respond. So I would I would tell my, my peers, work on your listening system because that's what makes us create the best support system for everyone. What is a recent win uh, that you can share with us from the last few weeks as it relates to uh, vaccine efforts? Wow. Um, I think the biggest win is that we actually have vaccine in hand. So we have to give, <laughs> you know, we have to be grateful for the science that really got us here. Um, but I would also say for Providence and our family of organizations, I look at the win in this collective problem solving that has been able to allow us to move forward. I think we, we talked about team of teams, but it, it's also just working together and really rallying around solving something. Uh, we are actually leveraging Twistle. It's a sophisticated automation, you know, multi-channel communication platform. This is something that we've been using with our patients as a clinical care system. And we were able to really problem solve and say, why not use Twistle for our caregivers? That's how we can notify them, uh, verify, you know, get their consent um, or declination. We're able to then uh, schedule and track and, you know, did you get Moderna? Did you get Pfizer? Like all of that piece. So we're leveraging Twistle as that clinical, that delivery engine where we're communicating and managing. And, really appreciate the bright minds at Twistle as well as Providence that have spent countless hours building this pathway and, and making sure we're able to uh, really uh, look at the, the solution end to end. And it's been great. It works over text and email. And as I was sharing um, with my colleague earlier, you know, over 60,000 of our caregivers have begun the process, been invited. And we have some pretty unique statistics. I mean, of the high, highest of the highest risk 
caregivers, 96% are saying, yes, I'm, I'm ready for the vaccine. We have about 55% that have uh, been able to schedule already. And, and now we're just uh, managing, you know, schedules because you have people actively managing surge and trying to get into schedule. Our, our vaccines are appointment only, and that's, um, that's been a big change. You know, all the mass vaccinations we've done in the past, those uh, were not done with the scheduling of, of appointments for each of them. So it's a, it's a new system. And I, I have to remind everyone, this is a, a two-dose series, and we're just one step through. So I've got to learn our way forward to make sure that we are getting folks in that 17 or 21 days from now back into the right appointments at the right time. Thank you so much, Sandy, not only for all the amazing work that, that you and your teams are doing at Providence, uh, and as well as for speaking with NEJM Catalyst today. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you.